if you have a good system for doing outreach and you have that muscle already built, it makes a lot of sense to have a sales engagement platform. If you have a team that has never written outbound emails before, buying a sales engagement platform is kind of a waste of money. I'd spend it more on getting that right and building that muscle and then having it automated. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman. And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. What's up, my Reveal people? Danny's here, joined by none other than... Karina Owens. Hello, everybody. The band is back together. And on this episode, we're talking about something near and dear to my heart. Yes, of course, if it's near and dear to my heart, it's going to be enablement. But why this may be relevant for listeners broadly across go-to-market teams, we're talking about tech enablement and how that dovetails into a B2B, a business-to-business sales process. We are living in a world full of tech temptation. Yes, we are bombarded every which way with opportunities to invest in that solution. Or what did you hear from your peer who's using that possible tech Swiss Army knife? What better way to learn the actual ways to triage and determine what makes the best tech tech than Caroline Hall? Karina, hype this lady up. What do we know about Caroline? I'm on it, Danny. This is Caroline Pohl, and she is delivering the masterclass of how to build a world-class sales enablement team. She is a person that just nerds out over process and sales and how to make it impactful and determined. And she is just an incredible leader. She currently is the VP of Revenue Training and Enablement at Bonterra. But not only that, she is a sales tech enthusiast, performance coach, and yes, folks, she is a change maker. In this episode, we talk about how sales enablement can look different from business to business. You wouldn't believe what she's currently challenged with at Bonterra. She's going to talk to you about finding out who's responsible for the sales enablement process and recommendations on how to build that world-class enablement from metrics to training and more. So there is just so many goodies in this episode. You're getting a masterclass for free on how to build a world-class sales enablement program. You ready to go, Danny? Let's hear it from the woman who self-describes herself as the sales nerd. Spin that, DJ. Caroline, thanks for being here. It's so great to see you both. Thanks for having me. Well, we certainly have had the luxury of interviewing fellow enablers in the past, and we want to take a different tack with you, given what is an exhaustive pedigree of enablement experience, having work at CEB, really pioneering thought leadership, and now being at the helm of a team yourself. A lot of people are asking the questions as it pertains to, well, what are the tools that are essential to me? creating an effective sales process so things are repeatable? Or do I then create my process, which then follows, ah, I have created my process, now it needs to be supported by certain tools that are on the market, given there's a gold rush in the tech enablement space right now. Tell us in your estimation, chicken or egg, does process come first, followed by tech, or does tech then determine how process will unfold? Um, well, first of all, I love that question because I think that is that is the fundamental question that most organizations don't start with asking. They start with choosing one or, or the other as opposed to recognizing that there are two ways to go. Um, I do think, though, that technology should automate good process and have the people to support it. So what my I would say that if you have um, a good system for doing outreach and you have that muscle already built, it makes a lot of sense to have a sales enablement or so, sorry, a sales engagement platform. 
If you have a team that has never written outbound emails before, buying a sales engagement platform is kind of a waste of money. I'd spend it more on getting that right and building that muscle and then having it automated. Love it. In an uh, interview you had had with one of our producers leading up to this call, you had also alluded to the fact that, you know, so much of what isn't going well is lobbed over the fence at enablement right now. It's this catch-all where I need this, I need that, I don't know where to go. So enablement, go figure this out. And at times, enablement can serve, I wouldn't call it per se as the scapegoat as we are sort of, I don't know, the ones that are running into the burning building. But at times it can be used rightly or wrongfully to compensate for bad or lackluster or suboptimal sales management. Talk to us a little bit about when you determine, again, both with practice and tools, are we solving for a gap and a lapse in sales management? Or in fact, is this a true function that enablement needs to serve? Because those lines can get increasingly blurred and oftentimes can lead to a slippery slope where all of a sudden enablement just does become the Swiss army knife and perhaps gets over-rotated or we have scope creep come in and that burns people out. Talk to us about those dynamics. Ooh, that's a lot. Um, so, well, I think that some of this comes back to experience, right? The enablement profession as a profession is pretty new. If I said product marketing, there's more definition of that. That's still pro- relatively new relative to something like sales generally, right? Um, when I first started selling, we did not have a marketing function. Our sales team was the marketing function, right? We were out building a brand. We were getting people aware of what the heck's CEV was and what we did and why it was powerful for organizations. We created our own case studies and examples. Um, enablement is really, you know, there, there have been organizations like Xerox and other places that have had incredible sales training for many years. But this idea of tools investment and people that are supporting people coming on board, getting them effective, getting them more effective over time, helping them build career trajectory talk tracks, cadences, all these different things, it, it, it's exploded, right? And in, in many cases, in a really good way. Um, but I think that whatever your experience with sales enablement is, wherever you're coming from, will influence what it is at your new place, right? And so enablement can look and feel very, very different. It can be um, somebody where we've taken a junior rep who isn't performing pretty well, particularly well, but we are onboarding a bunch of people. So we're going to have them be the onboarding jockey and make sure that they can get all those people kind of ready for prime. And then it's people who are really whizzes at technology and being able to help people understand um, how that technology should be embedded in their sales process or keep up with that technology. It's, you know, marketing materials that are look beautiful, but aren't really ready to be spoken to by a salesperson because there's no talk track associated with it. Um, it could be, you know, how you actually take value-based messaging and apply it to a particular part of the market for a particular experience. So I, I, I think the challenge that we have, frankly, in sales enablement is it means something different to so many different people. And so it can really spin out of control. Um, you also have people who have very different levels of sales experience in sales enablement. So people who might be super junior. I'm actually hearing of people who are studying sales enablement in college, having never sold before, um, which is fascinating to me. Um, and so I think, you know, you have different levels of experience, different understanding of the sales process, different understanding of where people are in a buyer's journey, what means from a sales enablement perspective. So this is a long winded way of saying, I think that's the two questions that you started with on like process versus technology and where is, what is kind of sales enablement? How does it, how does it work? I think those are really fundamental questions that each organization needs to define in order to get the right type of talent and get sales enablement to do the right thing. So it's not just a Jack and Jill, you know, a Jack or Jill of all trades doing everything, but not really 
um, the master of anything. And I think there are a lot of organizations that are doing an exceptional job with that, right? And they, they have clear definition of what sales enablement is, what it means, what internal customers can expect. And then a lot of organizations who say, you know what, my private equity firm says we need a sales enablement function. And then all of a sudden, there's some funding to get somebody at, you know, $100,000 a year all in to be able to do everything, to be able to write talk tracks and train people on all the different systems that they have and renegotiate contracts with Gong and other places, right? And to be able to help people be effective at a sales process. So I think if you have the right sort of role definition of what you're trying to get in terms of outcomes and then scoping the role to build that over time, it's really effective. I think where it starts to go off the rails or it kind of becomes the dumping ground for everything is where sales enablement is seen as the answer to solve a lot of those challenges, whether they're it may not even be management challenges, right? It may sometimes it might be solving for ineffective management coaching. Sometimes it might be solving for scale. But a lot of times it's just solving for information that doesn't exist, but no great place to create it. So that was a really long winded answer to your question. I'm hoping I got to that answer. But that's how I would think about, you know, the jack of all trades versus having mastery over a few areas within sales impact, sales enablement that can be impactful. Well, no, it's chock full of richness for both our enablement listeners as well as our sales leaders. I do want to still double click into this idea of inherently in our charter, we want to make the profession of sales easier because it's a grind. It's a grind for the ICs and it's a grind for managers. And yet still, we can do everything in our power to recognize the various learning styles that exist out there, cultivate the most deliberate programs. And yet still, we have gaps in management. Mm-hmm. And after you've done everything to meet sales management halfway, do you have some sort of barometer, Caroline, on your team that says, hey, like at a certain point, we've done everything we can, and yet still we've got gaps, not in our ICs, because they're beholden to instruction from both us and leadership. How do you ultimately then make the determination, man, like there still isn't the, we'll say, contribution from leadership that we need in spite of all of our efforts? to bring us to that next level or take us over the end zone. What is your barometer for that? And then what's the next step? Is it escalating things to senior leadership? Is this a shape up or ship out? Walk us through that process. Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think some of this starts with role definition of what the expectations are of a sales manager and sales leader. You know, enablement can be really powerful if we are pushing into the classroom as opposed to being the only place, you know, to to develop people. And so I think Where I've seen enablement work really well is where we have that partnership with the senior management team around what enablement's job is and what the sales management job is, right? So from my perspective, enablement should be helping define what we're looking for in terms of hiring competencies, understanding how that person, you know, what that, what the background is we're looking for, for somebody to come in and be successful, and then helping them to develop the skills that they need at the new job that they're in or help them develop to the next level. So it starts with really definition of what we want those reps to be able to do and what readiness really means and what readiness for the next role means. But then then it's the divide and conquer of who's actually responsible for what pieces of Because when you kind of ship people off, you know, somebody starts on day one and then all of a sudden there's a fully formed, ready to go sales rep on day 60. And then that sales rep isn't that then it becomes an enablement problem. But really, you know, where I've seen this work most effectively is where the manager and the enablement team are working closely from day one. They are they understand before somebody comes in what their background is, what that person's going to need to be successful, what the manager needs to do to drive that success and assume that that person, you know, they, they played the primary role in hiring the person. That person is on their team, right? So they have the most 
to gain from their success, but that they are fully integrated in that onboarding and development program to make sure that they're ready. And so, you know, part of this um, inspiration actually came from seeing my kids in the classroom. So I have three, I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but they're three awesome kids, very bright. And when my oldest was going through elementary school, the kind of talented and gifted program, they pulled kids out of the classroom. They took them to a program, you know, they took them to another part of the building. They did all this enrichment work. When my younger two started going through that program, the, the gifted instructor actually was coming into the classroom and it was benefiting everybody in the classroom, regardless of whether they were kind of tagged as a talented or gifted kid. And so I, I think there's a lot to be gained from that. You get, you see a lot of that in actual, you know, in, in pedagogy and education that if I can help arm all of our sales managers to be more effective at what they're doing, help define for them, hey, these are the things that my team does. My team is going to help make sure that they are getting the skills, but your job is actually to coach them on those skills and also certify them to make sure that they're prepared. We can either do that together or here's the certification to work off of. We're going to help get them prepared. Your job is to make these four certifications across their first month. Then you've got a partnership where we're exchanging information back and forth. Hey, I just did a pre-cert on this. This looks okay, here are the two or three areas that they're struggling with. When you do that certification, make sure you dive a little deeper in that, right? That's very different than somebody coming into the field and, and that VP saying a month or so, and you know, since they first got here, I was noticing some yellow flags. You know, why didn't you go deeper on this during onboarding? Why isn't this working, right? So I think that that partnership is really powerful. So it kind of inspired in part by what's happening in education in our country, but also just recognizing that enablement is one to many. And that sales manager is typically one to seven, maybe 10 in a big span. So they should be more available and accessible to do that, a lot of that daily coaching and development. But if we can teach them to do that more effectively and we can give them the expectations of what that should look like, hopefully it's beneficial for all parties. I really love that personal share that you did. I think so much of that, of what you, we could summarize to, you have to see it to imagine the art of the possible. And I really respect you calling out the two situations, one of where your kids were pulled out and one where the, your kids were experiencing it. And my background is in education, and I certainly understand the value of bringing more people with diverse skill sets and learning styles to the table. That's where innovation really thrives. So you gave us a really beautiful playbook for kind of how you should be thinking about you know, connecting and aligning new hires, how to onboard and how to scale those teams. And I love the one-to-many example of enablement with new hires and then the one to few kind of example rates, so one to seven sales rep with reps. If you, Caroline, were to go out and start your own world-class enablement masterclass series, can you give us some tactical things that you would recommend to share to people who are looking to build a world-class sales enablement team? Sure. Well, first, thank you for any sort of compliment that that's already happening in my world, which is awesome. So I think, well, I've had the opportunity to do some of that at Bonterra. So to give you a little bit of the Bonterra story, which is quite stunning, really, we have 11 logos that have come together under the name Bonterra, which is a brand new business name. So Apex, which is a private equity firm, invested in four logos, all in the social impact technology space. So our tagline is that we champion the, the doers of social good. So corporate philanthropic giving programs. We have programs that help organizations do better donor fundraising engagement, advocacy solutions, and then also how those dollars and nonprofits and public sector, how those actually get to the clients who need them, then being able to report on all that. The idea of bringing 11 organizations together is amazing, right? Like we're bringing all of these cool technologies together. It ultimately benefits the customer in amazing ways. 
but it's painful to say the least, right? That, you know, there's there's no one acquiring institution. And so Apex is the acquiring institution, right? But they're, they, you're not, we're not pulling into Apex's playbook. They've got a lot of companies in their investment portfolio. So what we have needed to do here, so my role exists for the very first time. I was hired in January of last year. And that was what I was brought in to do is build a world-class sales enablement function. So I can tell you, I'm, I wouldn't say that it's world-class yet. Hopefully we're on our, our path, but what we did in terms of making that work is it started with recognizing what we had. So with all of those organizations, we had businesses that were as few as like 25 or 30 people and then some up to about 500 employees. So there were some full-time sales enablement professionals within the business, but they were working on a much smaller scale. So and to the point that I made earlier, they all have very different expectations of what their jobs were, right? They, sales enablement meant, meant something different in each team. So what I wanted to understand first was what good looked like. Where did good exist and how could we replicate that in other parts of the business? When I arrived, we had 92 different instances of sales tech. So just, just going to let that sit there for a moment. So our focus has been on how we streamline that. Now, the good news for me is that those decisions don't rest with me. I influence them, but that is an entirely different team. The, you know, our systems team is handling all that. But enabling that without subject matter experts and all those different tools and instances is really hard, right? And then slimming down, migrating people. So that's happening in the background. So we were trying to get a handle on what technology looks like today across the businesses, where good is happening, what we wanted to start to slim down to. So what would be the best um, to migrate to across all those different types? And then also looking at commercial skills building. So what was really interesting is when I got here, a lot of our sales reps had a lot of industry experience and they had come from the political world or the nonprofit industry, in some cases, former teachers, but had not had sales experience. So they were they had learned to sell here, which meant that they had been doing really great things, but not necessarily at the level of expectation that our investors were looking for for sustained, scalable growth, right? So what I wanted to do first was understand what what good looks like and where those pockets of goodness lived. I also wanted to make sure that I built out a team that had that was sustainable over time because two of the people who had been in these full-time roles, they were very high turnover roles because they were the jack or jill of all trades. They were asked to do everything. They didn't have the preparation. They didn't have the the resourcing. And so I wanted to make sure that we had we were building sustainable careers. So I looked at what I thought the future state was going to require in terms of the size, best practice in terms of what the sales enablement to internal customer base would look like. I worked with our CRO on what that should look like in terms of a hiring plan for the year. I did get a nice big investment early on to make sure that we had a lot of those, that talent coming in. But to be honest, it, you know, I was hiring across the course of last year. So I was bringing people on while we were also bringing 140 people into their sales organization. So it was a, you know, it was a lot to be kind of doing all at once. So first starting to understand what good looked like, where that goodness could be, how we could replicate that, how we could build that momentum, because like so many things, you know, you you do more once you have the power, like the early adopters. So I wanted to figure out where our early adopters were internally and be able to start to tell some of those customer value stories to then be able to bring it to some people who hadn't used sales enablement before. I didn't really know what our role was or could be. Or people who thought, well, sales enablement can solve it, but not really knowing what that actually meant. So starting there, then identifying what those skills were. So in my world, I focused on two things, which was uh, really around specialization. So one around people who can actually create content. So in bringing all these different businesses together, we had been lacking a lot of the documentation of process, of systems, of playbooks, of methodology. 
So I, I hired instructional designers, which I think a lot of people thought I was crazy. They thought I, you know, I should just be hiring more classroom teachers to be doing as much training and training as, as possible. And then I had people who specialized in facilitation and coaching as well. So two different skill sets with different expectations of delivery timeframes, how they worked with customers and other pieces, because a lot of the people who had those enablement roles before were expected to be in the classroom, create new content, do the documentation, all these things that made them not ineffective, but not as effective as they could be. So that's what I would say in terms of building that world-class organization. It's, it's the combination of first understanding if you have goodness happening, which even if you don't have sales enablement professionals, there's probably goodness happening with sales managers, with people who are doing things that really live in the sales enablement world, and they are doing it just because they know it is a need. The second is making sure that you are thinking about what your future state will look like and building the to that, not just going with what you have today or what what your internal customers think you need, right? Like I took a lot of heat on just buy, you know, just get more classroom trainers, more classroom trainers. And then the third is making sure that you are working with that senior leadership team because we can't, Danny, earlier you mentioned a charter. You know, having a charter is really helpful if it's aligned with what your internal customers want. And so building a product that doesn't fit the needs of your market, and in case my market is the sales leadership team, that's not going to help me be successful or get more resourcing, more support, more more partnerships. So really those three things I would say is the combination. We've done a lot on a shoestring budget. So we have had really good technology investments already, which is great. But in terms of like, you know, I'll be honest with you, like in terms of hiring outside staff to do things like come in and teach anything, sending people away to do stuff. I mean, almost everything is done in-house because we haven't had that budget built in. And then we'll hopefully be able to develop more of that over time as we demonstrate the impact of the programs that we've been able to do in-house that hopefully we'll be able to do more and more bringing folks in from I, once we can demonstrate that. Just like Caroline says, there is power in enablement. So what is the first step for sales enablement leaders to do with their reps? Well, we should learn their background and work closely with them from day one teach them the powerful insights that will be most effective in gaining customers. A study from 310 Creative states that 86% of future customers take the time to listen if their salesperson can provide meaningful insights about their business using the products or services that they represent. So what do you need to make sure that your sales reps have the right information? Well, you can ensure that your team has everything they need to exceed by having meaningful data, stats, and tools that'll catch the customers. Karina, did that answer your question or you know, anything? I love it. That's the masterclass three-step framework to how you should effectively build. What are the main things you think like beyond, so you've built this, right? Like what is the next thing to do to scale that? So obviously today we live in an environment where everyone's talking about doing more with less. How does technology not fixing the problems? We have too much tech debt. So how would you think about scaling this over time, given the current climate that we're in? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a very, I'm very familiar with that problem. I had to lay off half of my staff in January. So I went from almost 10 to five in a day. And so that was really challenging. I'm delighted that several of my staff have gotten new jobs, which is awesome. But I think that you see that across the landscape, particularly because it is an overhead cost, right? And so it's, you know, if you're not performing from a revenue perspective where you'd want and you've got overhead, it's an opportunity to cut. So I think, you know, first and foremost, obviously, scale is really important, but demonstrating value is really important, too. And so one of the things I think I used in some, uh, several people reached out to me about it, but I said in one podcast at one point that 
having metrics is kind of like your 401k plan, right? It's the thing that you actually do first. You got to pay yourself first, identify what those metrics are and be tracking and demonstrating those so that you're showing the impact of the work that you're doing on the organization's revenue. And then, so I think that's like table, I would say that that's table stakes, but in terms of actually scaling the business. So some of the things that we've tried to do with fewer people are we have, in fact, just this last week on our all hands meeting, we rolled out um, a quarterly calendar. So we have what I call Manic Mondays, Tech Tuesdays, and Fundamental Fridays. Manic Mondays are just an office hour where you can drop in with whatever technology issues you have. How do you use Gong to do this? Hey, I heard this happens. I've got this deal. Like all the things that you might get pinged about if you live in sales enablement on any given day. We've now got an hour each week where you can dial in for that. I used to run it as like a coach's corner kind of thing, but we're doing Manic Mondays. Tech Tuesdays, we've got... So we have huge tech investments that we've made as a business. And if I can do nothing else, that more than, you know, we're, we're locked into these contracts. I want to optimize the heck out of them for the reps benefit so that they're getting the most out of these solutions, but also so that we are feeling good about having made these investments, right? And so we have a rotating, like the six most frequently used technologies we have on a rotating basis. Now. So every, every Tuesday, you can dial in for an hour and we've got a particular focus. Gong is happening in two weeks. And then we have Fundamental Fridays. So outbound prospecting and commercial skills. So discovery, value demonstration, pricing negotiations, really being able you know, to take people through those key components and then two professional skills. So each quarter, reps can know that on any given Monday, Tuesday, Friday, they have a way to get resourcing that they need for help, but they're designed to be much more hands-on. So it's roughly 10 to 15 minutes of content, but almost all um, role-play activity so that they can walk away doing something totally different than they did when they came in, which I think, you know, when we when we talk about one to many, before the layoff, I had one individual aligned to each of our four primary lines of business. I don't have that. So I have one person who's the facilitator for all of those. And that, that's the best way for us to scale, at least in the short term. I really love the kind of taglines of all the different days and the specific purpose and the fact that it's intentionally hands-on and that your team can look forward to that and they don't feel like they have to carve time out of their own personal schedule, but you guys have already thought forward and said, hey, we're going to be empathetic here and we're going to carve out time just for these three foundational skill sets and they're going to constantly be revisiting because it's never just set and forget it, right? Like you always have to revisit whether it's a talk track or a way of doing business or a way to use technology. So those are great examples. Yeah. And I'll say, I mean, we, it's already started to cut down on what we're getting as inbound intake as well, right? Because those are the same things that we get asked for over and over again. And so instead of doing them in a team meeting format or with, you know, 10 people, if we can get 40 people on a call and have them work in breakout groups, it's not as perfect, perhaps, as if we are just working with one business and using their terminology, but it works well enough. And so we'll we'll see in another month or so what, what the, the verdict is on how they're actually performing. But I think It'll be a really nice way to be able to make sure that people who want uh, that training will have access to it. And then hopefully it'll help our team as well be a little less reactive and more active. One of the uh, things you mentioned that to me feels like a quandary across all enable, and I'd be curious to get your take on this, Caroline. More and more expectations are being thrust upon enablement and some pretty lofty high expectations when you think about, hey, like we're getting you know, beaten up in the enterprise. And you're talking about then supercharging and sharpening and training tenured sellers who have been around the block a few times who have a very high bar for, what are you going to teach me that I haven't already heard? Yeah. And you're talking about in the exact same breath, your team is getting slashed in half 
and you're thinking about also the very pervasive misunderstanding of how essential and vital enablement is. So you're under-resourced or you're understaffed or you're underfunded. And trying to think about reconciling, we have to train these enterprise strategic senior sellers, but all I can afford is someone who maybe studied enablement in undergrad who's actually never even sold before. How do I not set them up for failure where the demands and expectations outstrip their experience? What is that sort of reconciliation process that you've been able to handle knowing that the needs exist, but the supply of talent and resourcing that you have may not be commensurate with what's being asked of you? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. And honestly, it goes back to that earlier piece around what are we trying to drive as outcomes and who are we trying to drive it with, right? It does not matter that person out of school or, or frankly, who's done selling for a year or two is not going to be able to train that in that enterprise rep. So then it's really how do you actually get that group trained, which I think gets back to the pushing in, right? So if we can help harness some of the great ideas from those enterprise reps and have them teach each other, or if we can document what the sales leader should be teaching, but otherwise would be in like an ugly PowerPoint deck, or they would just be speaking to a group of people without any slides, or would be something that really should be sent out as an email, but they are reading from a PowerPoint deck. Like there are things that enablement can do, but they lend themselves more to how do we take what the right practices are? Could be even research, right? Like what Karina and I chatted just a week or two ago on ABX, right? And so that's an area that we're trying to increase our muscle at Bonterra. So understanding from other people, like, what does good look like? How do you do that? And then turning that into something that can be reused that a sales leader can teach as opposed to that really junior person who may not be the right person to deliver that content. So I think there's a lot of really great stuff that junior people can teach. So don't get me wrong on that. There's all sorts of really great content. And if you're a good facilitator, you should be able to take a script or take a lot of that content and do something with it. But it assumes that there's a script and documentation. Right. And so if there's no script and no documentation and you're expecting somebody super junior to be able to just figure it out, that's where the that's where these enablement fires come up and where enablement is not going to look very good. But I think in that case, if you've got enterprise sellers and you're in it, we're in this situation right now, right? I've got enterprise sellers. We're trying to teach them to build an outbound motion that is really focused on a targeted account strategy. But most of these folks are are used to picking up business that has come to us. Totally different process. Right. And so I can build some of that and I can teach some of that. And by the way, I used to do that, but I'm like an old dinosaur now, right? So it's not going to be as relevant coming from me. It's going to be really relevant if I take some of that content, put it into a playbook or some content and either have one of the sales BPs teach it or have a peer who's already doing this of, you know, some of these other enterprise sellers. This is what they did in another organization. I've just kind of put it into practice. They love to hear from each other anyway, right? It's an opportunity for them. And I think I fall victim to this all the time, which is I think, okay, I'm building this. I need to teach it. But I was just reminded the other day by one of our sales managers. She said, you know, I, everybody wanted to hear what I said, had to say. And then I became a sales manager. And nobody gave two shit. Sorry for the, the language, but it's true, right? And so I think sales enablement often feels like our job is to create the content and teach the content and certify on the content. And that is boring as hell for a lot of the people that are in our midst. And so to the extent that we can use real examples of people's work, showcase what they've done, identify that as an example of best practice, have them teach that can be really powerful. You can also teach them to teach the stuff that you want them to be telling other people. But again, this gets back to, so if you have a really junior person, then they need to be reporting into somebody really senior who can help do that, make that influence. 
if they're reporting into somebody in the revenue systems team, they're not going to have that internal gravitas. They're not going to be able to make that ask of a sales leader in the same way. When you think about the gravitas it takes to covet and garner the respect, attention, mind share, whatnot of that senior leader or those senior sellers, I am wondering, while we can teach these side door, back door hacks, especially for people that are sort of put into that circumstance, are you also in the same breath as you've been around enablement for so many years now, are you starting to see that CROs and CFOs are saying, well, maybe we need to pony up and not just hiring these early in career folks, but in fact, oh, we need our senior AEs to operate like management consultants. So now it's finally time that we're going to hire former management consultants with the vernacular, with the pedigree, with the lexicon that requires, I don't know, for that role. And we're going to pony up $200,000, $300,000 a year, but we're going to see the dividends because they're going to be a force multiplier across our upper echelon of sellers. Are you starting to see that as enablement becomes more commonplace and table stakes to drive a successful outbound motion? I think it is. I think the challenge for, frankly, for people like me who are in that type of talent is that job can be really boring. Like if I, at this level and how long I've been in role, I don't want to be coaching enterprise reps, right? I did, I do that in my consulting business for a pretty fat hourly rate. I don't want to do that full time, right? And so there's this interesting disconnect, right? You've got really junior folks and then you've got really senior folks, but a lot of those really senior folks like, like I am are looking to have a team underneath them that we can cultivate and develop to build a world-class organization. So the types of organizations that can afford that have at least, you know, 1,500 employees, maybe 5,000 employees. They have at least 150 salespeople, right? And so there's a group of organizations that could afford or would put money behind that. But most of the, you know, a lot of times I, I get a lot of really amazing solicitations from very cool companies, but they want me to be a, a one-person show, just pay me what I want to be paid, but still do all the stuff that I don't want to do. So it's, I you know, I, I think that that's hard to find as the people who really want to be an individual contributor for an enterprise team. And I think that's actually where most organizations, if that's really what they're looking for, they should be hiring out for that from a coaching perspective. They should have a sales methodology that's common to their organization that everybody's trained on, but then they should just be taking some of their stronger reps and putting them through regular coaching if that sales leader is not the right person to do that for them. I think that's a fair point. And I would feel exactly the same way if I was at that pedigree. Like, And it's exactly what the climate is pushing out right now to just be everything all at once. Maybe name the price, maybe not. But yeah, appreciate your sentiment there. Caroline, you have just given us, I really do think we could wrap this up and call it your masterclass of how to approach world-class sales enablement. But we just have one final question for you. And it's a little bit of a thinker. So... Our last question for you, Caroline, is if you were to describe sales in one word, what one word would that be? Oh, that's easy. Opportunity. Tell us more. So, I mean, obviously there are opportunities that you create in Salesforce or wherever, but I think there's just opportunity everywhere in sales. I think it's a craft that you can continually improve upon, which is why people like me exist. It is an increasingly artistic and scientific marketplace. So there's tremendous amounts of opportunity for how to enhance that. But I think sales is really just an opportunity to connect two people, one person who has some sort of problem or need with somebody else who has something that could solve it. And so it's kind of 
constantly finding what that right balance is and those right matches to be made. So I just think of sales as opportunity, constant opportunity, and the glass is always half full. I think that's the first we've had that one word answer before, and it's a beautiful answer. Thank you. Yeah, it gives you hope. It gives you that endless freedom to be creative and think outside the box and that growth mindset that, you know, companies need. So yeah, that was a great answer. Thank you. Well, Danny, any parting remarks to your your fellow brethren here? I just so appreciate as we continue to popularize and evangelize the role of enablement that I've said this before on previous episode that so much of my, I mean, I think, challenge with being an enabler is that we carry with us the stigma, oh my God, you couldn't hack it in sales or you flamed out and you left the, for lack of a better analogy, the locker room, which I hate, but that exists in so many other sports analogies in sales. But as you talk, Caroline, so authentically and authoritatively about the indispensability of this function, I think it continues to bring us up and be, give us a, just a bigger voice, not necessarily the loudest voice, but a more respected voice amongst decision makers who wield historically more influence than we have. And that could be the CRO or the CFO. But I'm just so appreciative of your efforts to continue to shine more legitimacy on the noble work that we're trying to do. And oftentimes maybe neglect your underpaid for. So thank you for doing the work you're doing. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's so fun. I mean, I, it is really, truly a passion for me to build and develop amazing salespeople and grow businesses. So it's really kind of the perfect career and it's fun, very fun to give voice to. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, that definitely comes through. Thanks for joining us. You are a longtime fan and friend. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I love Gong. It's my very favorite part of our tech stack. Oh, thanks, Caroline. Real. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And, well, if you like what you heard, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.